If you can turn with me to the book of Haggai, if you're visiting with... Now, if you say, where is the book of Haggai? If you know where Matthew is, Matthew's about... Well, it's about one-third left of your Bible, but Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. But if you go back three books, you got Matthew, then you got go left, Malachi, Zechariah, then you'll get to Haggai. In my Bible, it's eight pages left of the, of the start of the book of Matthew. So find the book of Matthew and go left three chapters. Uh, you're going back in time to the Old Testament, um, and we'll be reading just the first six verses not even the entire six, first six verses, but the first five plus the first sentence in verse six. And we've been in the book of John. We've been in this um, study of the book of John. We'll continue the study of the book of John. I have to uh, start chapter 18, uh, the first Sunday in December. I'll start that, do two chapters in that, and, or do two studies in that, and then we'll uh, do some things related to the nativity and the coming of Jesus and the first coming of Jesus with the uh, story of Bethlehem around Christmas, but um, taking a little break here today from the book of John, and Pastor Trevor will be sharing next Sunday, and I'll do a part two of this same book uh, the Sunday after, and if you're visiting with us, uh, you know, we've been in the book of John for quite a while, but today will be a topical message, if you will. So starting with um, verse one, if you have your Bibles open, Haggai, tiny little book, two chapters, and we'll just be reading verses 1 to the first part of verse 6. We'll cover the whole first chapter, but just to start these verses. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. Let's pray again. Father, we ask again for the ministry, the help, the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your Spirit. I thank you for what you did in the first service with this text and with this word that comes directly from you. Lord, I pray that you would use it to touch every heart, that you would bring conviction, correction, comfort, counsel, courage, whatever is needed in each person, Lord, you know that you transform us into the image of Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Everything we do, everything we don't do, everything we start, everything we don't start, everything we finish, everything we don't finish. There's always reasons behind our decisions. They can be good reasons. They can be bad reasons. They can be prayerful reasons. They can be prayerless reasons. They can be spirit-led. They can be feelings-led. I don't, I don't feel like doing that, or I do feel like doing that. They can be others-led. I didn't want to do it, but they made me do it. Like kids going to church sometimes, right? They can be circumstantially-led. 
I wouldn't even have done it, but the circumstances dictated. And anything, virtually everything we do or don't do, comes with results or repercussions. Some of those are good, some of them are not. God has revealed in his word the counsel, the commands, the examples, the encouragement that we need to make wise decisions and commitments. And with the word as the lamp into how we live and how we invest our lives daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, we're almost to the end of this year, God will have us sometimes take an inventory. How are you investing in living? Is it kingdom-minded or is it personal? And we have the benefit of learning from those who went before us, don't we? We have the Bible to know, how did the saints of old live? In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it's up on the screen. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're closer to the end than we've ever been before, but we have those that have gone before us to learn from. So as we look at this remnant of God's people, a group that the Lord has brought back out of captivity for his glory, and a very specific task, I think we can easily put ourselves in their shoes. Well, sandals, you know, because they didn't have shoes like us, right? We can relate to how they ended up in the place they find themselves. And the words of the prophet of God to the people back then are just as relevant and needed today as they were roughly 2,500 years ago when this took place. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title, Lessons from Haggai, Let Us Consider Our Ways. To examine our ways. To take an inventory, how wise it is, how necessary it is to consider our ways. Why am I doing this? Is this really what God wants me to be doing? Am I doing what God has called me to do? The word consider is used five times in this little two-chapter book. Five times the word consider is used. By the way, it's the second shortest book of the Bible. It's one of only three post-exile prophets. All the rest of the prophets were writing or teach, preaching before the captivity. This is one of the three that is post-captivity. And Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.7, it's also up on the screen, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And that's my prayer this morning. By the way, after the first service, I had a couple of people come up in tears after this. So I hope that God does stir hearts. But that's my prayer this morning, that we would consider what the Lord is saying through the prophet Haggai, and that he gives each of us clear understanding how it applies to us collectively and individually. Collectively and individually. I have an individual walk with the Lord. My wife has an individual walk with the Lord. And we also have a together walk with the Lord. All of you have an individual walk with the Lord, but we also have a together walk with the Lord. Because he's speaking to the people, the, the, the group here. A little background, I'll make it brief uh, for the sake of time, but it's very important in understanding what leads to Haggai the prophet confronting words and his instructions and the prophecies that will follow. The time was 520 B.C. 
It was during the reign of King Darius of Persia, the Persian Empire. And that's spelled out in verse 1. Haggai is the prophet of God. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know how he arrives on the scene. He just shows up. Zerubbabel, he's the governor of Judah. And Joshua, he is the high priest. Those are your three main characters. Haggai the prophet, Zerubbabel the governor, Joshua the high priest. Eighteen years earlier, King Cyrus the Great. You guys heard of Cyrus the Great? King Cyrus the Great granted, exile, granted the exiled people of Israel the freedom to return to their homeland in Judah and Jerusalem, and he made Zerubbabel the governor, and Joshua the high priest went with him. About 50,000 Jewish exiles returned from what would be modern-day Iraq, Babylon, Persia, back to Jerusalem. It was actually a big step of faith and a big yielding of God for them to leave and go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. That was their primary task, to go back and rebuild the temple, but also to rebuild their lives and rebuild the Jewish community there. Most of the Jews in Persia and Babylon refused to go. They didn't want to go back. Leaving Persia, leaving the Babylonian area, meant giving up their settled lives, their nice homes. They had better malls. They didn't have malls, but you know what I mean. They had better roads. They had lots of food. They had lots of stuff. They had all the entertainment. They had theater. They had everything. And they didn't want to leave that advanced culture to go back to the ruins of Jerusalem and of Judah. But by faith and a trust that God had called them to return to their homeland and to forsake these lives that they had built in Persia, formerly Babylon, they left the comforts of the exile to go back and rebuild the temple for God's glory. They said, all right, we were going to go back. We're going to rebuild the temple as God has called us to do. In 536 B.C., now, their time is going this way. Our, ours goes 2021, 2022, 2023. Theirs was going 536. Five, they didn't know that, by the way. <laughs> they, we, that's our calendar today. They didn't know their time was going like that. But, uh, so in 536 B.C., they began rebuilding the temple. And they continued for the next two full years, which would take you to 534 B.C., because you're going down uh, B.C. and you're going up A.D., First, they built the altar so they could do sacrifices again. They built the altar because Joshua was the high priest. He's going to be the priesthood. They built the altar first. Then they built the foundation of the temple. That was in the first two years. But in 534 B.C., the building of the temple stopped. The combination of constant opposition from enemies around them, irritation from those enemies, threats, the work was really hard, the materials were sparse, it was tiring work. It all brought about discouragement. And on top of that, the slow progress made them think, well, maybe God isn't in this after all. I mean, now we know he called us to do it, but maybe he's not actually in it. I, I've been there numerous times as a pastor. Lord, if you're really in this, why have I tried this 8 million times and it's gotten maybe 4 inches farther? God's like, because... Sometimes that's how slow things go. Don't let headwinds tell us it's time 
to quit. Now, what may have started as a short pause, and we believe it did start as a short pause, became a total stop. I think of people that used to serve the Lord before the pandemic. I, I've seen countless people, you know, that used to really serve the Lord. Whatever happened, well, this happened, so I just kind of, I've been on a two-year hiatus. For the next 14 years, we took this short pause, but it became a permanent pause. For the next 14 years, nothing was done in the temple. The, the, sacrifice, the altar stayed the same, the foundation stayed the same, but no other work. They stopped completely. No other work took place. The people decided that they were no longer called to build the temple, or at least not in the foreseeable future. Maybe that some, some future generation would be called, but it's not our time. Mind you, God had not said or communicated any change in plan. God had not told him, hey, by the way, you all should stop. Mm -mm. God never told them it was time to stop. They came up with this. They had come up with it in their own mind. They collectively convinced themselves that they were honoring God with their lives just by virtue of being back in Judah. Hey, we, we, we were the only ones willing to come back after all. That counts for something, right, God? Everybody else stayed back there in Persia. We came over, so here we are. And in this 14-year period of the temple project stagnation, and what they did do, they didn't rebuild the temple, but they built beautiful homes for themselves. And they were fully devoted to rebuilding the economy, wealth, leisure, entertainment, food supply. Does this sound like a country you've heard of? <laughs> Does it ring a bell to anybody? I'm voting on the economy. 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 Does anything about God matter? No, no, just the economy. They had this intertwined mix of enjoying, because it says they sowed much but brought in little. They, and we're going to read more in just a few minutes. But they had this intertwined mix of enjoying their relatively new and ever-improving homes and properties and portfolios, while at the same exact time, in parallel, but not just parallel, inter intermixed, at the same time they were derailed by sudden droughts, economic downturns, and pestilence, which would destroy their crops, get the animals sick. They're like, it was this constant, nonstop, one step forward, two steps backwards. Anxious, Tired, frustrated, but trying to have fun all at the same time on the treadmill life. Does that sound familiar? Yes. 2,500 years ago. It's like we were looking in the mirror. Yet it dawned on nobody, it dawned on none of them, it dawned on none of the 50,000 that while the temple was in ruins, they remained in continual pursuit of building replicas of their old lives back in Persia, what God had taken them out of. If you're taking notes, just two bullet points, but it'll take me the whole time <laughs> for these two bullet points. Uh, the first one, misguided paths and pro priorities. Misguided paths and priorities. Look at verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Notice the words, 
this people. Thus says the Lord. God says this people. Rather than the Lord saying my people, he doesn't say my people here. He says this people. You ever heard a parent talking to their kid when their kid's acting up? This child. <laughs> Notice they don't say my child. This kid. Because at that point, you don't think they're honoring what you've taught. And God's like, you're my people, but you're not acting like my people. Because their actions, they're acting like the world. They don't even know it. They don't even see it. They've convinced and deceived themselves into believing. They've convinced themselves it's not time to build the temple. It's not. If it was, God would have made it easy. It's not time to do the Lord's work. In today's Christianese, which is our own language in the church, that we like to spiritualize things, we, we use the word season. Now, Season can have a lot of good connotations. There's nothing wrong with this word season. It's the misuse of the word season. Because there really are seasons. I've been in plenty of seasons. I'm in one now. But as long as you're not misusing it. But somebody might say, I'm in a 14-year season. Remember, they were a 14-year of doing nothing with the temple. I'm in a 14-year season of seeing where the Lord wants me to serve. Or if he wants me to serve. 14-year season. But they'll follow that up with an equally good spiritual phrase, but I'm praying about it, right? Praying about it. Look at verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai. Everything the prophet Haggai is going to say is coming straight from God. And since the people say it's not time to do the Lord's work and to build his temple... That's their statement. It's not time. In verse 4, the prophet conveys a question from the Lord to the people. So he says, so you say it's not time to build the temple. God's like, I have a question for you, which is a rhetorical question, but he has the question nonetheless. So is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses then? Is that the time? Is it time for you to hang out in your paneled houses? The word dwell, it means to sit to abide, to remain, to chillax. No, it doesn't mean that, but, it's, but it basically does. It means in context to relax and recline. Now, God could have just said houses. Most of the most places in the Bible, wherever it says houses, it just says houses. But here it says paneled houses, specifically paneled houses. Why? Because God is indicating the extra effort and attention that they had given and exerted to making their homes their supreme priority. That's why he's saying paneled houses. You guys have worked really hard to make that your priority. In stark comparison to the temple, which is lying in complete ruins and has for 14 consecutive years. Then you have verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Host, all of heaven, all the angels, all the stars, all the universe. The God of the universe is saying, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider, here it means to compare or to contrast your reasons to the will and work of God. Your reasons to the will and work of God. Consider, examine it. And as they consider, as they examine and ponder the path that they're on, they're going to see what God already sees. Excuses. 
excuses. If it's important, we'll find a way. If it's not, we'll find an excuse. One of my favorite quotes. We can imagine some of their self-justifications and what might have been going through their mind when they're thinking, well, of course we don't have time to build the temple. Or some might say, I thought somebody else was going to restart the project. So I was waiting for someone to get started. Or my paneled house project is nothing compared to my neighbor's paneled house project. <laughs> Not even close. They have a twice the size of my home. Or I'd love to help, but our paneled house needs a refresh and a remodel. So I don't have time to help with the temple. Or I'd love to help fund the rebuild, but I'm saving up for a sport chariot to go with my two regular chariots, right? Look at verse 6. You have sown much. You see, all the focus has been on themselves. They have sown a lot, but not into the Lord. Not into the ways of the Lord. Not into the word of the Lord. Not into the will of the Lord. You've sown much but not for God. On a yearly basis, if you've attended here any length of time, you know this is a fact. I spent a tiny fraction of time spent talking about money from the pulpit. Typically, it only is when it comes up in the text. And it comes up in the text this morning, so if it's in the text, we will talk about it. It's in the text. God's going to even talk about money bags in just a second. But it's right here in the text this morning, and the Lord is being very direct about their time, their talent, and their treasures. And their talent means their abilities, their skills. If you have an ability and you never use it for the Lord, you'll give an account for that someday. God said, I, I gave you the ability to sing and you refused to do it for me. I gave you the ability with kids and you, you didn't want to do it. I gave you these abilities. I gave you the ability to just, you're the person that, uh, man, you can travel and travel doesn't bother you, then you should have taken more short-term mission trips. God's going to hold people accountable for what they could have done or should have done. But he's, he's, he's very direct with them about their time, their talent, and their abilities, and the fact that they've been using it on themselves, and yet even if they use it on themselves, it's all been in futility. Like it's Ecclesiastes, it's all been vanity. And by the way, you also know that we don't even pass an offering plate here. You ever been, I've had people come, do you all take an offering? You know, I've had people ask me that, literally. How do you all do it? Uh, like... We don't. No, I said, no, we have a box over here, and we have a box back there, and we have an online thing, but we don't really talk about it that much. The, the elders will pray about it just after we worship. That's about it. Certainly not something that I'm, I focus weekly on teaching the Word of God. Whatever text we're in, that's my focus, is teaching and studying that week to prepare. Uh, my focus is not tithes and offerings. Now, I believe that God uses all that, but that's not my focus. My focus is on prayer, studying, and teaching whatever the Word's text is. But our giving to the Lord in all the areas of our life, which includes our money, our time, our talents, our abilities, our commitments, the things that we're really committed to, all of these are directly related to our surrender to Jesus, our faith and trust in his will, our desire to fulfill what he's instructed and to bring him, not ourselves, glory, and to bring people into saving faith, that our time and our talent, our treasure should reflect that. There should be enough evidence in our life. Now, God had, God had brought these exiles back to the promised land. They didn't 
They couldn't even have gotten the permission if God didn't open the door through Cyrus the Great. God was the one that brought them back. And when they came to Jerusalem, don't forget, when they got to Jerusalem, they had incredible zeal for the Lord. They were excited. They were, they were flag-waving. We are in the promised land, the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are here to rebuild the temple. We are here to serve the Lord. We couldn't do it freely in Babylon. We can do it now. They had a zeal, zeal for the Lord, to worship the Lord, but their zeal had faded. Jesus says in the church in Revelation, he says, the first church he speaks to, he says, you have lost your first love. You've left your first love. They had a zeal for the Lord, but it had faded. Their faith had faded, and they instead had become very self-focused. Instead of God-worshiping focused, they'd become very self-absorbed. Jesus warned about this in the parable of the sower, didn't he? Mark chapter 4, verse 19, it's up on the screen. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. You actually think riches would actually bring you peace. They can't. And stuff. The deceitfulness and the desire for other things choking the word. I like things like football more than some of y'all, but those, <laughs> things, those things should not choke out our love for the Lord. They should not. Your hobbies should not. Your interests should not. None of that should choke out. And if it is, we should cut it out. And Jesus warns, he says, these things will choke out and it becomes unfruitful to the point that you, you, you're no different than the unsaved world. You look identical to them. They don't have fruit, you, you don't have fruit. You have to believe by faith that God is the one that satisfies you, that God is the one that sustains you. I was thinking about this even this morning. You know, the things that people worship, you know, if you had the money... Because you watch this on HGTV, and they're like, Caribbean life, I'm going to leave. I'm going to sell everything and live in the Bahamas. Do you know who made the Bahamas? God did. Do you know who made white sand beaches? God did. Do you know who made palm trees? God did. Do you know who made clear sea to the bottom? And so, but he didn't make it for you to worship it. He made it so you would know he made it. Right? So when you get it all mixed up, say, if I could live where some were God made but not serve the God who made it, that would be perfect. God's like, you, are, you got it all mixed up. You'll find your satisfaction in me, not in Caribbean life or not in any venture that's going to make you supposedly so happy, full of possessions, success, leisure, whatever your paneled house is, because everyone's paneled house is not the same. Some people, I don't want a paneled house. I just want to live by myself, do what I want, bass fish every weekend. That's your paneled house. That is your paneled house. Oh, I just want to golf all day. That's your paneled house. It's a metaphor. It's, it's true. It's exactly what happened, but it's also a metaphor for all of us. According to an article in Relevant Magazine, uh, professing Christians in the Great Depression, in the Great Depression, uh, professing Christians gave a greater percent of their in income to the Lord than those today. They had way less, but they gave an average of 3.3% of their income. The Lord, today in the church, it's about 2.5%. Less than the great. And neither were 10%, but worth noting, roughly 80% of Americans, of all, doesn't matter, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, you name it, 80% uh, of Americans give 2% of their income to charity. So when I was in corporate America, we had a United Way giving campaign every fall, and everybody got on board. We auctioned stuff off, and I was no more... Uh, the, anyone there was all generally likely to give about 2% of their income to charity, according to this study. 
but that's only a 0.5 difference in people that attend the church and call themselves believers. Only 5% of the American population, so our entire country, only 5% of the entire American population ties to the Lord. On average, less than 20% in the church ties. So on any normal Sunday, 80% of people attending don't tithe to the Lord. Now, I don't see tithing as a New Testament law. Just so you know, I don't see it as a New Testament law. I see it as something that's affirmed but not mandated. But God loves a cheerful giver uh, whom, you know, if you give, it will be given unto you, and you would have this desire to give back. I do see uh, tithing as a spiritual maturity, a discipleship maturity. I see it as a blessing. I see it as a growth in love and work of the gospel. The reason say, Lord, you gave all this to me. How could I not want to see people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? So I see it in that manner. Jesus is the one. Again, in the Old Testament, it was a law. New Testament, it's the spirit that gives us life, that gives us a desire to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow him. But Jesus is the one who said in Matthew chapter 6, 21, he said it, so you have to take it up with him. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, whatever your life is about is going to be evident. Whatever the bulk of your time, money, and using of your talents is spent on, that's your God. Well, say, I looked at all that, and I found that my checkbook, my time, and my talents all used on me. Well, guess what? You, you are your God. That's what the Lord is saying. You, that's where your heart is. And as it is with our... Uh, financial resources, so it is with our time. And in fact, many people are far more stubborn with their time than their checkbook. I've actually met Christians say, I, I don't mind writing a check, but I don't have time to help. I've, had, I've literally had someone say all those exact words. I'm like, do you not hear what you're saying? You're telling God you, you can't fit him in? More stubborn than withholding their time, especially today as we have more travel mobility than the world has ever seen. Most ancient people didn't leave 10, 15-mile radius. I mean, we have more travel mobility. We have more sports, more entertainment, more disposable income, more hobbies, more activities than at any time in human history. Our grandparents had like six photographs in a box. We take 12 in a day on our phone. <laughs> and we have thousands of them in the cloud now. We don't know what they're up there doing. We have no, we've not looked at them. <laughs> We have a hundred which are the same picture, just on a different day. <laughs> they used to write letters. We write more text than all their letters combined, but we don't have time to write a letter. It's not a building line in ruins today. It's the work of discipleship that's lying in ruins. It's the work of the gospel that lies in ruins. But the real word for us is neglect. It lies in neglect. We shouldn't have any gaps in this church or any other church and children's ministry, but we still do. We shouldn't have you know, needs in some areas that, you know, we should, we should have plenty of people to serve a worship team, but we don't. We should have all of these things available because God certainly provided the people and the gifts and the talents, but... You know, we think of the kids. Jesus is the one that popped the kids on his lap and said, anyone who brings these is doing the work of the Father. He's doing my work. If Jesus is the one that loves these kids. The issue is that we don't have an issue with time. We have an issue of giving the time. 
And it's really not we're giving, we're back to children's ministry for a second, it's not we're giving to the kids, but we're giving them to the Savior who created those kids. We're giving to Jesus directly. Hebrews 5.12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers by now. Uh, you have to know in your own life, say, Lord, what is it that you would say to me I should have been doing or living or practicing by now? I guarantee you there's something God would say. There's no one in this room, myself included, or God would say, you should have been doing this one by now. This should have been happening by now. But he's really gracious with us, isn't he? Aren't you glad God's gracious with us? Because he's gracious with me. He puts a knucklehead like me teaching this from Haggai when there should be someone more qualified than me. But God says, no, you're going to teach it anyway. Some of you should be teachers by now. Some of you should be discipling people by now. Some of you should be giving generously to the Lord by now. Some of you should be picking someone up and bringing them to church. We have people sometimes, that, even in this room today, that needed someone to pick them up, and we... No, I don't have time for that. God said, no, you can do that. You don't even have to have a talent for that. You just have to have a driver's license, a valid driver's license, and you're not suspended. <laughs> and then we'll say, you're good to go. All right, you qualify. Well, I can't really, can you mow grass? We'll, we'll find you a spot. Praying. Some of you guys are just saying, hey, you've had every excuse in the book. You should come to the next men's fellowship on December the third, or the ladies one and the second. That should be your starting point to dart to get into fellowship. You put it off too long, it's time for you to get back into fellowship. Or maybe the first time ever. God knows some of you should be doing what, fill in the blank, by now. Yesterday we had the 11th Ananias House Prayer. I told you about that. We've had 11 of them. They're only an hour. Um, even if you tithed a Saturday, it would only be one out of 10, not one out of 12. But it's not even one Saturday out of 12. It's one Saturday out of 52, if you even went to one. But I promise you, God will bless and say, thank you that you cared enough for those brothers and sisters from the Middle East to sit on that call, hear them talk about their challenges, pray with them, and start to care about them, and start to pray about for them when you're riding down the road. When you're not on the call, you now have been fused, and this is where God makes the whole body of Christ one. This is what he's calling us to do. That lies in ruins, and we say, well, I just don't have time for that. And I'm not saying everybody does, and I'm not saying everybody has time for that sim that the same Saturdays. I'm saying, in general terms, you say, I, I at least should get that exposure to it so I am just that much more aware of what the Lord is doing around the world. It's such an easy opportunity. But many Christians, many Christians gauge their use of time and their service to God in comparison to the rest of the world, not in comparison to the Word. Let me say that again. They gauge their use of time in comparison to everybody else around them in the world, not the Word. So they say, well, when I look, the 50,000 people that were there in Jerusalem, they looked around each other and said, you're working on your paneled house. I'm working on my paneled house. You're working on your paneled house. We must be all okay. God's like, none of y'all are okay. Because <laughs> God was still over here, and they're all over here, but they're comparing themselves to each other. They all had a mirror, and they all saw each other and say, we're all working on our paneled houses. We must all be okay. And God said, no, no, none of y'all. This is our country's problem too, by the way. And it's a problem in the church as well. So it's the national problem, but it's also more in the body of Christ. And God says, I've told you to come out from among them, be separate. Don't hold a mirror and say, well, you're okay, I'm okay. But many Christians gauge that way. 
and that's how the people here justified, it's not time for the temple. And everyone that they talked to also agreed it wasn't time to build the temple. So no matter who they talked to, they were in their own echo chamber of self-worship. Hey, do you think it's time to build? I don't think it's time. Do you think it's time? I don't think it's time. I do think it's time for me to build my paneled house. Me too. And they thought their time was all tied up. Jesus said this regarding all the competing interests of our lives. And there's a lot of competing interests in our lives. Matthew 6.33, you know it well. Someday we'll all give an account for it. Every single one of us are going to give an account for it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Then they'll be added, but you have to first seek him above everything else and his righteousness. The people there in Jerusalem, they were seeking the other things, not the kingdom of God, not the will of God. They were seeking the other things. But the other things weren't being added to them. See, God will add what you need. He knows if you need heat this winter. He knows if you need gas in the tank, no matter if it gets up to $5 a gallon or whatever else it will be eventually. He knows what you need. He knows what I need. But he'll ensure those things. But those other things that they were actually seeking after were actually being taken away. In fact, blown away by none other than God himself. The one who had protected them in Persia and brought them back, but was not going to allow them to remain in their lukewarm lives of indifference. Let's read the rest of verse 6 through 11. Look back in your Bibles. We stopped in the middle of verse 6, but let's read all of verse 6 all the way through verse 11. You have sown much and bring in little. This is God speaking. Haggai is just the mouthpiece. But there's are literal words of God. Haggai saying them to them, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink and are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Second time he says it. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. By the way, the, the reason why it's put runs to his own house is because they eagerly were running to their own house but wouldn't even walk to help the temple. But they would run, they had a desire, a, a zeal for their own house instead of a zeal for the Lord. Verse 10, Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock, on all the labor of your hands. In other words, God says, I have ruined your economy. That's what he's saying. Everything. I've ruined your farms. I've ruined your harvest. I've ruined your bank accounts. I did it. He said, I blew it all away. So if anyone has an issue, they're going to have to take it up with the Lord at this point. Um, it's true that America, in rejecting God, which our country has rejected the Lord, and is trusting in politics and trusting in technology and trusting in Wall Street. I don't know, not, not sure why, but anyway. Uh, and you know, our nation that now believes that killing innocent unborn babies is somehow going to help out with the convenience of people's lives, it won't. Idolatry, pride, sexual immorality, the list goes on. We know that we know that this house of cards is going to collapse. 
you guys agree with me on that? Right. I mean, if you know the Bible, you know this is true. It will not last forever. This house of cards is going to collapse. The, the, either the judgment of God is going to be poured out in this country or revival is going to be poured out, or maybe both. But, but there's really no other, there's not a third option. You can get both judgment, revival, or judgment and revival, but there's no other option because that's all God's ever done in the history of the world. But it's also true that you know, God is going to judge not, uh, unrepentance in the world, but it's also true for us that do know him, that really are his people. These were his people, he was correcting, by the way. These were his people. They really were believers, and they really did have a relationship with God. They had just decided to take a 14-year hiatus. Hebrews 12, 6, whom the, love lords, whom, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And then Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 17, for the time has come, speaking of time, we see a lot of mentions of time in this passage, the time has come for judgment to begin in the house or at the house of God. So God always will get a hold of his kids. In my life, we had three girls. I did not correct the neighbor's kids. I corrected my kids. And God will correct his kids first, get us right, then you know, take the specks and beams out of our eye. Then we're able to go and minister correctly uh, in whatever he's called us to do. But God made sure. God is the one that made sure their investments tanked. God is the one that caused their crops to fail. God is the one that made sure that their me time was not fulfilling. Oh, man, I just want to lounge in my paneled house, but all I feel is depressed and anxious. That's the Lord. He was allowing all of that because they had neglected what he had called them to do. And if we, if we truly know the Lord and we've been neglecting him, uh, if our service to him has faded, if it's now in neglect or even ruin, uh, God will be getting our attention. I'm here to tell you, God, if you belong to the Lord, if you're not his, then don't worry. Well, you should still worry, but that's a different reason to worry. If you're, if you're not his, he will not chasten you as a son or a daughter. But if you are his... I'm here to tell you, he will be getting your attention. If you say, well, I'm just going to take another 14 years and pray about it, he will be getting your attention. I'm just going to take 14 months and pray about it. He'll be getting your attention. He'll make sure we fall and fall hard and suffer some loss, but God used all this stuff that he just pointed out. Your crops are failing, your money bags have holes, all this stuff. He used his proof points to show them that Haggai the prophet was sent to tell him, you guys have not, it's not dawned on you that all of your running on the treadmill, God's doing, and it's because you have neglected what he's called you to do. Jer uh, Haggai was an alarm clock that they didn't want waking them up. He was a flashlight pointing out what they've been tripping over. What they've been tripping over was self-absorption, wrong priorities, and disobedience, and that had been causing their pain. But praise God, he has brought all this to their attention because he's merciful and he's a healer. Do you believe that? That he's merciful and a healer. And this rebuke and chastening from God is not the end of the story. Look at the last few verses of the first chapter. And if you're taking notes, this is my second bullet point, which I've got to wrap it up quick. Merciful pardon in presence. Merciful pardon in presence. Let's, let's read it together. Starting verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, 
as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. After Haggai had preached this message of consider your ways twice. That was his title then, if you will. It's my title this morning. After he preached this message of consider your ways, they did. They did. They, it's not often that I meet people that desperately counsel, and they literally will say, I so needed to hear that. I usually get, oh, well, well I would do that. You know, that you know, usually get the hemming and the hawing. They didn't hem and haw. They listened, and they said, we really have blown it for the last 14 years. It is our fault. We really have made excuses. We really have neglected the Lord. We really have worshipped ourselves. They considered their ways. They took an honest look at the path of their lives. They took an honest look at their true priorities, not what they said their priorities were, what they actually were. They took a look at their excuses. They took a good long look at their homes and possessions, which had become their idols, keeping them from serving God and finishing his work and his priorities. And they said, we're going to return to fearing the Lord and obeying him. You don't really see this that often in the Bible, by the way. You usually see a lot of tug of war before God finally gets relentant. But they did. They relented and they said, we need to repent. And because it was genuine repentance, it was genuine sorrow that they had forsaken the God that saved them says they feared him, they revered, they worshiped. 23 days later, 23 days after the Consider Your Ways message, Haggai the prophet realizes that they have really repented, and God comes to them with the second message, and that second message is up on the screen. We just read it. God's like, all right, their repentance is genuine. I've seen it. I've seen three weeks. They really have decided they're going to put their house back in order spiritually, with the Lord's help. And the second message would be, I am with you. Aren't you glad that God, you know, notice what God doesn't say. You all owe me 14 years of back taxes. <laughs> you all owe me 14 years of neglect. He doesn't say that. He accepts them immediately that day. Isn't that great? He does not say, you owe me a lot of Sabbaths. I mean a lot of Sabbaths. And you're going to work for the next 38 years to repay all this. He says, I'm with you. Most of you, their parents, if your kids come home, Lord, you will do things they would never dream you'd do for them, wouldn't you? But you can't do it right now because they might spend it on a drug habit or do this or do that. You can't do that, but you know if they came home, you would love them like the prodigal son of the parent, right? It's not like, well, I'm, now, now you're going to pay for the last 28 years, right? God doesn't do that. He says, I am with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of the leaders, and the Lord stirred up the people and God forgave them and refreshed their spirits. And it was a new work of the Spirit. And they immediately restarted the work. And you know what? They would go on to finish the project in four years. That sat idle for 14, they would finish it in four years. The two years it started, 
Add the four, six years total to build the temple. That's a hard job. We know they had the, the ability. God said to go up in the mountains, get the wood, which is a lot of hard work. We know they knew how to panel houses. So God said, I, don't tell me you don't know how to build. I've seen you know how to build. You know how to build. I, you guys, we have that clear. So you have the ability. You have the time. You have the resources to buy the wood from the Lebanese area up there and, and, and take out of the forest and bring it back. You have the time, talent, and treasure. Now will you do it? And over the next four years, they completed the job. That shows, by the way, repentance shows out. When you want to see Billy Graham used to, people used to say, Reverend Graham, did all those people that come forward at the crusade, did they all get saved? He always would say, time will tell. If four years later they're doing the work of the Lord, they really got saved. If four weeks later they're back in the bar getting drunk, they didn't get saved, right? That's kind of the time will tell, and their repentance was genuine. Now, this still isn't the end of the story. I said, mentioned Pastor Trevor's going to share next week. Um, so the week after next, I'm going to do part two, which this, the whole book takes a little bit of a shift. Uh, not a complete shift, but there's definitely a shift. There's a lot of prophecy in this as well. I'll give you a hint. Um, at the beginning of the, we, we see that the three main characters, Haggai's a prophet, Zerubbabel's a ruler, Josiah is the priest. Does that ring a bell? Someone who is prophet, priest, and king. So the rest of the story, it all centers on what this temple rebuild is all about and what it's pointing towards, the greater fulfillment of the temple, and that God, he's just fitting us into his plan. A part of our repentance and our serving, our giving of our time, talent, treasure, it's all fitting him into the future work of the end of the age. And so we'll look at some of those things. But praise God uh, for his mercy and his grace, that he doesn't require 14 years of back taxes on them. He receives them. But my question to you all, and I asked the first service the same thing, and we'll ask it as we come to a close here. My question is to search your own self. As Tawan just comes back up for, do you have it in you? If you don't, that's fine. But, uh, um, but as Tawan comes back up, just take a moment to search your own heart and say, Lord, over the next, and sometimes it takes a few days. Remember, God gave them three weeks. Three weeks. And then Haggai comes back and says, the Lord is with you. He's examined, but he's helped you examine. I don't know about you, but I need God's help showing me my blind spots. How about y'all? I mean, sometimes we don't even see it. They had no clue. They literally had no clue that they were living in opposition to the Lord. Because they, they're like, everyone in their peer group was doing the same thing. So they thought, how could we possibly be wrong? And God's like, you're all wrong. That's what God's saying in our entire country, isn't he? You're all wrong. But we have a God who's right, amen? And a God who makes us right with him because he shows us, no, this is your blind spot. This is your area of neglect. Because yours is not going to be the same as mine. Your area of neglect, God might have been saying, hey, I do want you to serve over here. I do want you to get up earlier and pray. I do want you to do these things that are specific to you. Amen? Why don't you stand as we close in worship?